like I do when I feel when I'm just pushing work, right? When I'm just like I'm going to put my head, you know, nose to the grindstone and keep pushing. And uh, I found better improvements in my work ethic by focusing on health, which is maybe obvious to a lot of people, uh, but based on the work ethic I've had in the past wasn't so obvious. Hey, Michael, welcome back uh, onto the show. Uh, thank you. Glad to be here and uh, I'm glad to return. Uh, it was great doing the first one and I'm glad to be back. Yeah, you know, I was telling you off channel that you know, you're one of the most quoted guests on our show. We talk about you all the time and uh, you come back, uh, you know, you, you come up in conversation all the time because you're one of our first like quote unquote headliners. Like I was super stoked to have you on uh, when we first started off. Um, you know, you, you hear this guy coming down from, you know, from downtown running this like squashy like uh, um, what's the agency. Right. And you came all the way up to, to see us in Scarborough. And, you know, the first moment I met you, I was like just struck by like one, how young you were. And then two, the, 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 the flowing long hair, right? <laughs> really, you know, it really, yeah, it was a trademark. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, since then, man, I, we've been kept in touch. So I wanted to catch up officially on air. How you been? Awesome. I've been good. I've been good. I just came off uh, a vacation, reminder to folks. If you haven't taken one in a while, it's good. It's good for your mm -hmm. mental health. I uh, I think it's been over a year for me, uh, and yeah, I'm doing well. I just moved out to uh, British Columbia, as I was just telling you. I'm in a log cabin here, uh, and able to work remotely. And we're sort of about to hit a year of pandemic, and uh, I've learned to enjoy it. I've adapted, so uh, doing well. Awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you're in a, this beautiful log cabin I can see behind you. You're watching the sunset as we speak. That's uh, not a not a bad way to run a company. No, this is the uh, the corner office I always dreamed of. I didn't think I could have both, but uh, it's good for now. We'll see what happens when, once we can go back to offices, but uh, for now I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of following you on social media about this. You know, you did this whole kind of road trippy, kind of like you know, work work remote kind of kind of like thing. Um, I, I talking to a few entrepreneurs about this. You know, they went, they used the pandemic as a, a way, like you know, obviously when things are in lockdown, to become like a digital nomad, right? Going into different spaces. As long as it's internet, you can work from anywhere. So why not work from somewhere that's interesting? Absolutely, and you know, it's. It's internet and staying safe, and like there's nothing safer than than a cabin in the woods. Where I'm, you know, I don't stay <laughs> on the sides of the grocery store, and I get up for my hikes. And my neighbors are bears, so uh, so I can stay pandemic safe too. Yeah, can you walk me through your day? Like, uh, how do you like? How do you like? Are you still working? Are you taking it completely offline? No, I'm working. I mean, today we'll, we're coming up on a 12-hour day today, so still putting in a full work day, but. Uh, through that, I got a walk down to the end of my driveway in, which is better than it sounds, like mountain views everywhere. And on the weekends, I can get out and ski or, or do different things. But uh, I found with more remote living, you don't have to travel to the good stuff. You know, I was in a, mm -hmm. in a cottage in uh, tiny Ontario, a couple hours north of the city. And like, I can get out for a half hour lunch break and get a swim in because uh, it was just down the block from me. So uh full work days and you know long days but then getting out for a 20 minute walk is pretty grand yeah i mean 
at least uh, you know you're, you're making use of lockdown like for me um you know i think i think I, I caught up with you about this like me and my wife like we we bought it bought and moved into our first home like a week before the pandemic happened and then we was like glued to the tv like oh my god what is going to happen like what the world's shutting down right things are going you know locking down um you know we're in a state of emergency and since then like you know we're still in that kind of mode like it's kind of hard, it's kind of easy to like, kind of forget that we're in like a very unique position in in in, in like the past 100 years of history right like it became like a normalized kind of thing you know wear your mask when you go out you know don't uh, don't get too close to people right stay in home right. stay indoors as much as possible but for entrepreneurs people you know who are you know uh, you know grinding uh, this is a perfect place to stay productive. Uh, what I love about you is like you kind of work it in a way that's kind of sweet, where you know you get these like uh, uh, get 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 an adventure and kick out of it. But like, how's the work ethic been for you? Like, you know, are you been throwing throwing everything behind the wheel? Yeah, I think uh, you know when the pandemic started, I I saw it coming early because a lot of our our clients work with suppliers from China, uh, and so. Mm. And I've been to China before, and I started to see them shut down during not Chinese New Year. And I went, oh, wow, this is this is real. And then I started pulling out all these different articles from, like, The Economist in Chicago in 1917 right away. And uh, started reading on it and seeing what was the trend that was going to come and, and what could be done to optimize towards it. Uh, you know, from a work ethic perspective, that initial couple months of lockdown like it, we just went hardcore, right? And it was mm. seven days a week and it was 12 or 14 hours a day. During the summer, we were able to ease off a little bit. And then, uh, you know, the the early winter this is our busy season. And, and there were periods where it felt like we didn't have a break and it was always on. And then uh, in our world, right at the end of January, you know, we were finally like, we're going to take a breath. I texted my CFO. We did it. We ran the company through 2020. We didn't fire a single person. We didn't lay anyone off. We had perfect retention through that entire thing. You know, it it was eventually good for us, but it looked pretty rough in the beginning. Uh, and it was like one week later that iOS 14 is announced, and there's <laughs> there's no break whatsoever, which is a big change in my world. Uh, so now we've yeah. done all the adapting to that, and I would say my work ethic. It's been one of my hardest working years, not just in the business world, but personally. I spent a lot of time figuring out what I really want and figuring out uh, my own routines and how I'm going to work. And, and I think for entrepreneurs who have reached a certain threshold of success, it's the best thing that you can do is take a step back and look at your the way you're personally living. Then you're not going to get more incremental work out of trying harder as much as you are out of getting eight hours of sleep or getting that exercise in or eating right. Uh, and those changes for me don't always feel like I'm pushing it like I do when I feel when I'm just pushing work, right? When I'm just like, I'm going to put my head, you know, nose to the grindstone and keep pushing. And uh, I found better improvements in my work ethic by focusing on health, which is maybe obvious to a lot of people, uh, but based on the work ethic I've had in the past wasn't so obvious. Yeah. I remember you, you were telling me about, you know, the, the struggle with that, you know, it's like sometimes like you get so busy and work, 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 like you just grab the first thing you can to eat, you just keep kind of going. Uh, it's kind of cool that, you know, you're taking this time to like kind of reflect back on yourself and, and try to improve that. 
Absolutely. I mean, we've been hearing this kind of, uh, you know, this self-help kind of uh, uh, kind of talk coming into entrepreneurship and talking to them from a, just as a, not just a mental standpoint, but from a health standpoint, how to better take care of yourself. Not just like, you know, for the, 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 the sake of it, but it makes you more effective, makes you more, uh, makes you more of an operator. Um, you know, totally. I, I do want to, I, I do want to tie back to like, one of the main things is like you service an industry that pretty much went on a hockey stick growth. Right. I love the fact that you're taking the time to like talk about, you know, maintaining yourself. And, and I was telling before this, we started recording, like, you look good, man. You look, you know, you look fit, you look healthy, right? Taking those uh, swims must definitely, uh, you know, get that mountain air must definitely be hitting you. But uh, like, you know, how do you how do you deal with that? Right. Like there we heard a lot about industries that took a nosedive, you know, the restaurant industry and, and, and physical spaces, uh, entertainment went down nosedive. But there's a lot of industries that just went completely haywire. And nothing, nothing was more right. crazier than the e-commerce space, right? It was what quoted three, three years worth of growth happened in three months, right? Can you take right. us through that period, like what, like you know, as you, as a service-based industry in that in that environment, what did that look like for you? Was it crazy? Was it like, uh, were you getting customers coming in phoning you, for for once? Like, how, how did that look like? Yeah, I think, you know, it wasn't so clear when it was happening. And so hindsight mm. is 50-50 on this, that e-commerce was going through the biggest growth pattern ever, right? But we were fairly well diversified. We had clients in the travel space. We had clients in insurance. We had clients in a bunch of different spaces, right? And so uh, the one that we were super sure about was groceries and, and goods. We yeah. have Inabuggy as a client. They've been with us uh, basically since we launched. And we knew that one was going to do well. But it was sort of trickling, and it's funny what's growing and not growing in e-commerce. Uh, so out of the gate, I think there was a lot of scare. And I know some other agency owners who laid off half their team in the first mm-hmm. two weeks, right? They just hit the panic button. Hey, we were back on, um, had some technical issues there, but, um, what were we talking about again? We're talking about data and privacy. You had a really interesting question lined up. I think it was, what's the effect of all of these algorithmic changes coming through? Uh, and what's the long term, long tail of those changes? Did I get that question? Was that yeah, what you were yeah. asking? Excellent. I think you made it well, sound a lot better than I asked it, but. You know, I think it's, uh, it's a really interesting question. It's something I think about. Um, it, you know, I think there's a permanent thought here that like Facebook is, is it and it's it forever. Uh, but we're still in the early stages of this, right? And I think the hope that we have to have uh, is that we can make this better and that we will have platforms that allow for great targeting and advertising. And I talk to people all the time, you know, like censorship was a big thing that I really, I really wasn't for censorship. It really pissed me off. Um, I was looking at like, what can you do about it? Uh, And, and there's, what looks like right now a monopoly in the space and almost uh mm. it's almost stagnant right now right like these yep. these platforms TikTok, which is a little different is coming out but then sort of stopped for good reasons uh you know i think the hope has to be that these algorithms develop for good in a better way that the next iteration of them that comes out that inevitably will come out right the competition can only be stuffed down so hard uh that they support more of that you know, positivity, and they're not encouraging 13-year-old girls to become depressed as much as Instagram definitely was, right? Um, mm-hmm. And 
and I think if you want to be hopeful, it, it's a progression there. If, you know, if there's, like, it could get worse too. <laughs> that's the, that's the flip side. But I think I, I want to be hopeful and say that you know there's a progression here that it, it feels like a long time to us, 20 years, but mm-hmm. it's the first of its kind, right? It's the first newspaper. It's the, it's the first super major one, uh, and there will be iteration here, and hopefully that iteration comes for good. Yeah, I mean, a few a few news cycles ago, uh, back when you know the Trump era was still a thing, um, it feels like forever ago. But you no, know, with Trump, like and, and TikTok, right, really kind of sparked a debate about now that like the the, the Silicon Valley style of you know uh, consumer apps is being adopted globally, but by like a Chinese led company by you know by Eastern Eastern Bloc nation, um, where data privacy is completely different and utilized. The question of how can this be weaponized against us became, you know, mainstream, right? Um, yeah, and I think it's always interesting when that comes up, right? I, I was yeah. I lived in China for a little bit, and what I found fascinating there, it's very easy to make that weaponized, dangerous data argument, and people really resonate with that. But there's an economic argument there too, right? Like, hmm. there's a Facebook in every country by Facebook. Portugal doesn't see any of that ad revenue as tax. They don't have the employees, right? I mean, I don't know yeah. if there's a Facebook office in Portugal, but assuming there's not, right? They don't. They don't get that benefit. Uh, you know, like Congo doesn't get that benefit. And mm-hmm. so, in, like, what China did economically makes sense, right? We're not. We're going to allow Google. Our people are going to be searching. That's the way things go. We're going to have that as domestic revenue with domestic employees, right? Uh, I think TikTok is like a little tit for tat from an economic perspective as much as any real data and privacy concerns. Uh, but it's really like not equal, right? Like Google's gone. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take Google and Facebook aren't there. So we're going to take away TikTok, right? Like none of the Western social networks, payment platforms, et cetera, are allowed in China. Uh, and mm-hmm. you see that they have their own diverse and thriving ecosystem because of it. So mm-hmm. I understand China's incentive, but it's going to close up borders on things and, it's really like TikTok was a sacrificial lamb, I think, to that economic difference. Yeah, I mean, Facebook also came recently into hot water because in, in Australia they passed unanimously saying that news organizations, Australian news organizations, need to be compensated for content their content being on Facebook, and Facebook just like shut the doors to all Australian uh, news media content on Facebook. Right. Right. So I think, like legally speaking, like a lot of nations are kind of like you know tiptoeing back and forth about like you know what's allowed, what's not allowed, what models to follow, what not to follow. But you know, going back to uh, TikTok, you know, TikTok as an ad platform just launched. Like, I just got an update email saying that TikTok for Business is now open, and going uh, going uh, you know, and it's uh, it's available. Um, what is the is there any interest there as an ad network as like um, for as a consumer block? It targets it has mostly Gen Z in there, but there's also a right. lot of millennials and a lot of other people. What do you, what do you feel about, about TikTok marketing? Gen Zs are going to grow up fast. <laughs> They're going to be purchasers and not that long. Uh, yeah. So we're a super specialized agency, right? For people who haven't watched the first one, we focus specifically on Facebook and Instagram ads. Uh, TikTok is the first thing that's caught my attention that I'm now exploring. Mm. Uh, I talked with their account reps a year and a half ago. Their platform was privately opened. If you owned a premium Facebook agency, they give you a quote. You could buy... Uh, TikTok ads, you could only buy one way. It was a flat banner. You had to take over all of Canada for the day. It cost us $2,000 for the day. 
which is probably underpriced, but uh, wasn't tracked, and I don't do things that aren't tracked, right? Like I want to see if the dollars mm -hmm. make sense. Um, the uh, platform now is interesting to me because of how creative it is. That's where I see longevity there. Like when I see the Sea Shanty video and the iteration that happens there, Instagram never did something that cool. Like Facebook mm -hmm. never did something that cool, right? They're really creating content. And I mean, frankly, I, I say this to my creative team all the time, right? I've got eight full-time people who work on ad creative all the time. Our competition is not our competition. We're better, like we run great ads. We know that, right? Uh, our competition is TikTok because Instagram's mm -hmm. monetized TikTok more than TikTok has monetized TikTok because how much of the Instagram newsfeed is video recordings of TikToks now, right? Yeah. So yeah. our ads follow TikTok. If we want to grab attention, we have to beat the TikTok. And mm -hmm. uh, we can beat them or join them, right? There's a, a billion people on there trying to be the most engaging thing every single day. And as smart as our team is and how much we can beat other advertisers, we're not going to compete well against a billion people. So we take a lot of inspiration from TikTok now. Uh, we look at how can we take something recorded with the phone and upscale it because they clearly found a really engaging concept. The boot flip or, or sort of, you know, outfits being changed. And it, it was a funny breaking down with our team of that, that wasn't done in Premiere. It wasn't done on specialized machines and hardware. It wasn't shot with a 4K camera. You know, uh, it, it there's uh, an arrogance that can come really quickly with getting to the top of the old in industry, right? And we've, in the course of the last year and a half, you know, leveled up all of our equipment, leveled up all of our software, leveled up everything. Like, we're we're there. We're not at movie professional level, but we're top of our top of our industry. And I I, I want to chop that down all the time ago. Recorded on a phone, edited it on a phone, way more views than any of our ads, right? <laughs> like, got people super interested. And I'm not talking about, you know, TikTok for, for product purchase. Those aren't great. But just regular organic TikToks. And if, if you came up with that strategy, that ad would have had 100 times return on ad spend. Like, it was brilliant. Mm. And I'm not sure that, you know, the individual TikToker, like, some of it's people stumbling on it, but they're doing brilliant work and they're doing it for free. And it's, it's really a compelling platform in that way. In terms of the ad platform, it's something I'm starting to explore. Uh, I'm hearing mixed results from people who have been on it. I'm going to get in there and test for myself. Um, uh, I think with these these new platforms, it's tough for them to compete with the standard that Facebook has set. It's the best ad platform that's ever existed for generating new customers, right? Uh, it, it's hard to catch up to that. Snapchat never has. Pinterest not even close, Reddit, don't waste your time, right? Like Facebook mm -hmm. and Instagram are the best ad platform out there. The only thing that competes is Google for people who are already searching for your product. But if you want to have a new mm -hmm. product to display, YouTube ads suck. Uh, so, you know, it's it's really um, going to be tough for TikTok to, to get to a level that's compelling. But if you're, you know, a wise advertiser, people said the same thing about Instagram, um, gosh, I forget who I was talking to once. It was a VT or someone. And he was like, Facebook's already over. It's already over. The people on there are 40. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, all that matters is yep. a 16-year-old. And I was like, you're, you're nuts. But you see, you know, if you have a little patience, uh, it matures. And, and those people are the main buyers, like the people on Instagram right yep. now. So I'm going to dip my toe in TikTok. I'm going to get familiar with it. My hopes aren't too high. Yeah. Uh, I, I spoke to I spoke to a few people in this space and they they said the same thing like one of the one of the tropes is like why is there no ads on on TikTok is because Gen Z uh, are not buyers they don't have the money to buy at least not yet 
right? And it's mostly a Gen Z market space. Um, right. But again, there's a lot of brands on TikTok because they understand there's a growing segment. So one of the things that was really interesting that I, I recently found out is that Gen Z is one of the biggest generation um, groups in 100 years. So in North America, Gen Zs are 30% of the population. There's like 60 million people who are in the Gen Z uh, age group. And, you know, they're set to inherit $40 trillion worth of wealth, right, from the boomer generation, their grandparents, right? The money is not going to the kids, it's going to the grand, grandkids. And that's, uh, you know, Gen Z and the, and the generation that falls afterwards, Generation Alpha, right? So one of, the, one of the tropes is also like is watching that segment and how they behave and how they kind of like consume information because that's going to be the market uh, like you know, very quickly. Now, do we get to complain about them like boomers complained about us millennials or do we have to wait it to skip a generation? I'm ready to go. I think, we, I think we have to. Like we they hate to, us. Right? What is there that we Gen- can't like about them? Get some <laughs> blog posts out there. Yeah. I mean, they're the ones who are just addicted to their phones, right? But uh, it, what's really funny is is uh, Gen Z making fun of millennials and millennials not knowing they're millennials. Like a lot of millennials don't realize they're actually millennials. They don't actually know what they are. Yeah. Right. Like, so I have a lot of friends who we were actually talking about this recently, and they're like, you know, like they're like, you know, like we're talking about Gen Z, and they're like, someone's like, yeah, they're just like millennials. I'm like, dude, you realize we're millennials. Right. Right. Like, and then people don't understand that, like, because the boomer generation made fun of millennials people internalized that and made fun of themselves and didn't right. realize they are millennials. But I mean, I mean, going, going beyond that, like this, this, this market segmentation, right. Uh, is, is really interesting to me. Like after I started looking into population graphs of like, you know, who fits in these kind of, you know, population curves, how do you, how do you study this? Right. Like you probably go oh, at a deeper level, right? Totally. I've got the most scientific method, which is a bunch of little siblings. So I get to see all the striations <laughs> via my little siblings. My youngest brother's 15. So I still got someone in there. After that, one of my older siblings is going to have to start, have to start having grandkids from my parents and, and nieces and nephews so I can check in with them. Uh, it's actually crazy how useful it is because you can do all the Googling that you want and you're not going to find out that like group chats are, you know, group texts are so lame and why aren't you on Discord? You know, like why aren't you on Snapchat? Why aren't you on this and that? So I have used that actually really to my advantage to talk to my little sister who is now 19. So she sort of is moving up to that cohort, my brother who's 15 and say, what are you guys doing? What are you on? What's the platform? Cool, I'm gonna go there. And I'm like, they're like, no, now it's lame. Like, why are you on this platform now? We don't want you here, but I'll go <laughs> in and I'll check it out. And I check out all the different platforms when they come out. Uh, in terms of more in-depth stuff, gosh, it, it is, it is useful to understand people who are in the demographic, right? Because you don't understand things from a third party perspective. I had this talk with my team members. I'm like, who's on TikTok? So whoever isn't on TikTok, here, you can take off the rest of the afternoon. You're getting on TikTok, you're scrolling through TikTok. That's your homework. That's what you need to do. Like, we need to stay on top of these things. Uh, and, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting to watch it happen. I, I think that that generation is very sophisticated with their phones, but they're a little more optimistic or preppy than millennials were like Mm -hmm. a little less cynical. They're more cynical and less cynical, more cynical about news, more cynical about technology, more cynical about information, but they're like less cynical. Like I could not imagine a high school where you made a TikTok that you see out there now 
of, you know, this campy shit and that you went in the next day as a millennial and you didn't get everyone, you know, making fun of you that entire day. Like there is a more openness there, which I think is really cool. Uh, I wish our generation did more like that. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to, to see that rise. I think I look at another thing. This is just sort of random, but I look at the size of logos on t-shirts. And I remember if you like 2008, like American Eagle, Hollister, Aeropostale, right? It was like taking you over. Like you could carry the, the swinging sign of Aeropostale and that was cool. 2008 hits and it's like, boom, black t-shirts, no logos, right? And if you think about this generation, they haven't been through a recession. I mean, COVID now they have. Prior to COVID they hadn't, right? And so, so that's changing. And you see like the logos are coming back on the t-shirts. You see some of these things coming back. And, and so they had a very different attitude growing up there. It's interesting to see, like, what is the effect of COVID going to be on, on that generation? I think we're going to have, like, shut-ins be a lot more common. And not, I'm not saying it in a pejorative way because, like, I'm living in a cabin in the mountains and I like it. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, a lot of those trends are going to continue. And remote work is, like, par for the course. That generation is not showing up to an office. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you, you, I think you got it right there. Like, like remote work. I think previous to the pandemic was four percent of the population work remotely. Now we're at forty percent. We're floating around there, and the the more time goes on, more people are used to it, and more businesses are getting used to it. And I don't think that's going back. But like, you know, going back to that idea of like, you know, location, 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 right? Like, why do? Why were you in the city? Why was anyone going into the into downtown core? Is because by being close to the action, but a dense environment, you know, you're, you're close to where things are happening, right? It used to be that, you know, if you wanted to, you know, uh, get connections, go somewhere, you can go to an event, you can go to a conference. Now that's all shifted, right? right. So the internet is kind of democratized, yeah, connections, but this, where's the town square? Where do we gather to find nuance and, and connection, connection, right? Right. Yeah. That's really tough. What I'm setting up at Acquire is every so once a month we're going to take a half day off on friday and people are going to meet up and we have a great agency that helps us plan events uh shut up Dink, they're awesome and they're going to uh help us plan these events where our team can meet up and get to know each other and hang out conferences are still on the table all these different ways of meeting up uh but the uh you know when i think back to what we were doing like i live eight blocks from the office and the condo I didn't like, you know, near an office that I, I like the office and I like being with the team, but we all went there and sat in front of our computer screens all day. And I had employees who commuted an hour and a half every day to go to the office and sit and say, I don't want to be distracted and try to find a quiet corner before getting in their car and driving an hour and a half or taking six different connections on the streetcar and subway yeah. to go back to their home. Like that was insanity. That was crazy. We were able to do this this whole time, right? So I don't think connection happened every single day. I think it happened once in a while. And I think um, there's a lot of people now who I know on our team didn't like going to the office who now miss the office the most. And I, I find that very funny of, of that romantic feel of the office. And I think a lot of life was connected with the idea of the office and and so people want to go back to the office because they want to go back to life. But once you start going back to life, you're going to see you don't need that much office. Um, 
that's my take on it. I have people on my team who are disagreeing, who are pushing hard to get an office. So I'm sure <laughs> there's lots of different voices on this. Personally, yeah. I feel like how much of that is always is like super necessary. Like our team is more efficient without a doubt, remote, more efficient, right? We get more done. It's more organized. It's more trackable. The top performers objectively stand out better than uh, than before in an office. It's way harder to tell who's a top, top performer, in my opinion, because some people are really good at appearing to be a top performer. And then when you put them on these objective measuring pieces via CRM, like you have to do when you're a remote team, you see, oh, their output actually isn't that high and they're not in front of me every day. And I don't get that vibe like of people shipping it in and, and making a really focused walk to the, you know, through the office to look like I'm getting so much done to go sit on Netflix. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think uh, top rewarders are, or top performers are rewarded. I think the biggest thing missing from the office, I, you know, I talked to a lot of other CEOs and CEOs miss it. And I think uh, they're not going to like, I'm saying this, but, but the CEOs who really miss being in person, there's a feeling when you're a leader at a company and you're in person and you get up to make an address and everyone looks at you and it feels like, wow, I am a leader. And there's something like primal to it of like, people are looking up to me. And I think yeah. a lot of CEOs are craving that feeling more than, than and they don't want to say that. So there's a ton of justifications around, well, the productivity of creative meetings, like, cool, were you not creative this year? But mm -hmm. you objectively were creative. Well, oh, we don't have this, the, you know, all these, these reasons that come up for why remote working is a problem, I think are pretty weak and false. And, uh, and the biggest thing missing is that, that feeling of being admired. Uh, but I think if you can, can let that go, it's, it's a okay to be remote. Yeah. I mean, I, I, just, I think you brought, sorry, I just pissed off a lot of CEOs, but yeah. I'll stand by it. <laughs> no, I think, I think, I think that's a really interesting point. And I'm glad you said that, uh, because you're absolutely right. Like, you know, part of being a CEO or part of being like a founder is you take a leadership role. Right. There's some people who shy away from it and they're like, shit, I have to do this. It's part of, you know, building what I'm doing. But other people gravitate to it. It's one of the main reasons they do what they do. They love being in a position, not just a power, but being of influence. Right. Being have people look up to you and that visual you kind of put up, right, like going to work every day and people literally metaphorically looking up to you. You're sitting and standing in front of them and you're talking to them. You're giving direction, giving guidance, right, whether it's a boardroom or a meeting room or like on, on like a, on like the, 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 the den, like, you know, the the floor of a, of a contact center, right? Like you want, like there's a certain kind of nuance there for, for, for a leader right, right? now. And I, and I, you know, kind of going back to like kind of what we talked about, I just want to get your opinion on this, right? Like uh, going back to the conversation of platforms and connecting to people, right? Um, another platform that's kind of been kind of booming is uh, the platform of voice, voice as a platform, right? It started off first with the smart speakers with Alexa and Google, Moved to suddenly with podcasts, podcasts are you know popping up really really fast, and then now Clubhouse, right? Yeah. Clubhouse as a as a, as a town square uh, is exploding. Um, what are your what are your thoughts on like uh, voice as a platform? Yeah, Clubhouse is so interesting. Like my notebook has like do a Clubhouse written in it every single day. Uh, like I'm working my team to just like turn it on, and I think that's a really cool thing about it is how easy it is to just turn on. I think the way we're setting up this podcast is cool. Like it can just go. Um, I think voice as a platform is interesting. I just wonder if there's as many people listening as there are talking on some of these platforms, you know? And I think a lot of the people who are on Clubhouse are there because they want to self-promote, which I also want to do, so I don't have a problem with. 
I just wonder, is it going to catch a more mainstream zeitgeist? And maybe this, this community is big enough and it's just replacing all the fireside chats and tech events that you, have, you used to go to mm -hmm. and now it's all on Clubhouse. It's not as favorable for everyone, right? It, it, it sort of helps the people on the top. It sort of helps the people mm -hmm. who already have following. And that's tough and it's going to get more like that. It's in a golden era right now. It's really easy to get into. I think by, if someone's listening to six months from now, they're gonna be like Clubhouse is, is a done game. Like it's cemented. These, these are the top people, the influencers are already there. I think get in now, like get in then, it, it's not it's not too late, but um, it, podcasts are, are huge, but Pareto distributions are something I think about all the time. Uh, so in that distribution, right? Like the top 1% of the top 1% has the majority of the success. Like of classical music that, you know, the top 1% of 1% of pieces are listened to 99% of the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's, it's going to go that way too. Um, I don't know, but that doesn't answer sort of how that comes as a, as an agile platform. It's an interesting place to develop and it's a game I'm not really in besides yeah. the podcast I do with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I got into it last week. Um, li literally, one of our uh, one of my favorite guests on the podcast called me up and said, like, you have to be on this. I've heard of Clubhouse, but I'm on Android. I'm a, I'm a Google fanboy by nature. Everything I want is for Google. Tell me how, first time in 10 years, I bought an I, I actually got an iOS device just to get oh, on this okay. thing. Right? And I, oh, I've been okay. stuck, man. Like, I've been on this. Um, so with, with Clubhouse, one of the best quotes I've heard about, the, about it is like, you know, Podcasting is like an, the album, where Clubhouse is the concert, right? right. It's like it, they kind of fit hand in hand, but it kind of goes in together. So you know, as a podcaster, I'm like we jumped in there, and now you know we're bringing like past guests that came on, and we were able to do a one to one show, and we can do a one to many show or many to many kind of show, right? Where we can like bring in speakers. I'm like, okay, what do you think? And now you can run a panel just like you have to previously run like a tech event, like you said, right? We can now do it furiously on this and discuss ideas, get things out. And, you, you know, I, I know what you're talking about. Like, there's some channels where it just seems like pure self-promotion. People is coming on to promote, 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 promote. But I think the most rewarding ones that people really find attuned to are the ones where people come in and just talk about deep topics or, right. or personal stories. And it becomes a new infraction to, to connect, right? Do you I'm, see, like, a... Sorry, go ahead. I'd love to do one with you if you ever want to do one. I think there's a lot of opportunity to innovate there, too, man. I think the people aren't using it to, the, to its full potential, right? They'll just like pass a topic around. Um, I think you could have debates on Clubhouse. That'd be really interesting. I think you could do all sorts of different things to, to get it to be more engaging. Uh, and it's something I'm thinking about for sure is, is how do I get in? I feel like I need to stop thinking and start doing, but how do you hit the oomph there? Uh, because I've sat on some and gone like, maybe, and maybe there's, you know, a, maybe there's a bias of just having been in the industry and not getting started. And it's, it's such a powerful thing for people who are just getting started in the industry where you are getting a lot more of that information. Um, but it's, uh, it's, so, so it's interesting. I'd love to do one with you. Perfect, man. Yeah. So we're, I'm trying to do one daily now, every, every day at eight thirty to 10 o'clock EST. Right. So after I hop off of this in 30 minutes, uh, we're going to jump into it. Love to have you there if you can, okay, but sure. I'm trying to do a daily Monday to Saturday, trying to over leverage on this you know it's a growing platform definitely i think when android finally launches it's gonna a whole bunch of users gonna stream into it right i think it's a great opportunity here awesome yeah i'm i'm gonna do it tonight let's let's have fun let's do it man 
Perfect. Um, let's let's wrap up. I know um, you know we we didn't leave too much time to talk uh, about the platform you're launching, but could you give us a quick summary of Fates AI and how it's going to help uh, the problems going to be kind of discussed? Sure. So Fates.ai is something we've been working on for over a year. We've had a five-person team going on it. It's our skunk horse division. Uh, we have written white papers. We work with PhDs. What we were trying to figure out is being perfectly precise in budget management for ads. Uh, and we went a long way in that direction, and then we realized we have to be perfectly accurate because most of the industry doesn't understand how they pick their return on ad spend, meaning everything that they're working towards is a goal all the time of saying for every $1 out, $1 in, I want $4 out. That's, they bang their head against the wall all day. I want $4 out. What we see is that that number was picked out of thin air, and it doesn't correlate to anything. And really, the number that they actually want, we've solved for it. There's a perfect way to solve for what makes it max profitability for you. It's a 3.2. It's not a 4. You've been running in the wrong direction the entire time. right? And sometimes we'll see an 8 on an account. People are going, I'm getting $8 out per dollar in. That's wonderful. Yeah. And like, I have to go, that's stupid. It's, it's really not the best way to run your account. It's impressive in a stupid way. Uh, so uh, that's a component of the platform that we're launching. There's some tools for attribution. Uh, and then in the long run, there's going to be tools for automation. So we sort of had a pivot with iOS 14. We've been doing a lot of uh, machine learning, and we've been doing a lot of uh, things with AI. And so we were able to quickly roll out a tool that's going to help with attribution. This is going to be a tool that's going to be built on consistently. So the next thing you're going to see is that uh, the modeling tool, which is going to help you pick your return on ad spend, and then there will be more with deploying monthly strategies and ad automation to manage your budget super precisely. So uh, it's sort of a live rollout, and right now it's in a free beta, so you're welcome to join the free beta, which is for the attribution tool, which is going to help you get through iOS 14 and then stay on for all the next features that are coming. It's eventually going to be a, a brokerage account for Facebook ads, and uh, it's my passion project, the thing I think about all the time. I've been trying to make it happen for three years. We're uh, a year into development. We're launching a really simple product because iOS 14 upset some of the other stuff we were doing. We figured out the solutions. We just need to build them. So, so get on early, and uh, and I'd love to have people on for, for a long time on that product. Amazing, man. It's, it's, uh, it's live, live now, right? People can find it on uh, the website? The beta is open. Uh, it's at face.ai. Right now, the beta is for the attribution tool. There's more tools coming. Uh, and the attribution tool is going to be useful when iOS 14 rolls out, which is still any day now. Awesome. All right. Great to hear, man. Cool pivots. Uh, you know, I'm mad. I'm really jealous of uh, your cabin lifestyle you're living here. Uh, going to be, going to, go, going to be following along uh, and living vicariously through you. But uh, till then, let's keep in touch. Uh, come on Clubhouse today. You know, I'd love to have you on there. Uh, but till then, uh, thanks for coming on, Michael. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah.